Welcome everyone to our BGJ podcast for the month of March. I'm Andrew Duckworth and a warm welcome back to you all from your team here at the Bone and Joint Journal. As always, we'd like to thank you all for your continued comments and support, as well as a big gratitude to our many authors and colleagues who take part in the series that highlights just some of the great work published by our authors each month. So today for our monthly podcast, I have the pleasure of being joined by two authors from an editorial published in this month's edition of the BJ Day entitled Managing Displaced Fractures of the Medial Humor Epicondyle in Children, Unveiling the Enigma. So firstly, I'm very pleased to be joined by Mr. David Ferguson, who is a consultant paediatric orthopedic surgeon at James Cook University Hospital in Middlesbrough. Uh, thank you for joining us, David. It's great to have you with us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And secondly, we are delighted to welcome back David's co-author, our specialty editor for paediatrics here at the BJJ, and an all-round cool guy, Professor Dan Perry. Dan, it's great to have you back with us. I'm not sure I've ever been described like that before, but thank you very much. Definitely cool. Definitely cool. So Dan, if I can maybe start with you, I just thought, just as a sort of scene setter, how were you taught to manage these injuries when you were training? So displaced medial epicondyle fractures, if I'm honest, it was always a little bit dependent who was on call and what the boss was and what was discussed in the trauma meeting in the morning. I think more and more as I went on through my training, we were fixing them. And so, so I certainly fixed plenty during training. But it was always a little bit of a wild feast. And it was one of those ones that you could never quite predict what was going to happen. And you have to kind of look at the rotor and kind of read what boss was on call and what they, you think they'd do. Yeah. No, I, do you know, it's, I think it's a really good description, Dan, because there are certain injuries and pathologies, particularly injuries maybe, as you go through your training and you think, actually, I just don't, I can't predict this. I don't know what, what we're going to be doing. And I think that shows you the equipoise, really, doesn't it? It shows you that we just don't know the answer, really, I suppose, as well. So, David, exactly. David, how about yourself? Yeah, so I was trained in Yorkshire area, and we were told similar things, really. One of the things that came across a lot of the time in our trauma meetings were if the, the fracture fragment's displaced a centimetre, you need to get it fixed. Um, if it's small, just use some wires. If it's bigger, use some screws. If it's less than a centimetre, just put it in a cast, leave it for four weeks. But when you went round the rotations, everyone would have a different piece of advice for you and they would just be managed. Very difficult to, as a trainee to understand uh, which logic to follow. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, David. And so that comes on to sort of my next question, which I think probably explains a bit of what we've we've all described. How has the management of these injuries changed over time? And how has, the I suppose, the controversy and arguments developed and evolved regarding the management? Yeah, so I think, first of all, I don't think the management has really changed for these fractures, but the opinion has. Mm -hmm. But the opinion has changed without evidence. And that's where we have, like, the biggest problems, really. So over the years, I think there's been a bigger lean towards operative fixation, and it's centred on people's beliefs and family expectations. Expectations being higher, uh, a lot more sporty kids nowadays and the demands for those sporty kids and from coaches has gone up and that's fed in the US and in this country as well now. And so that puts a bit more pressure on and people wanting and having a belief that sometimes surgery is always better. And with all the marvels and wonders of robotic surgery and everything else that's come into the front, then families expect a lot more and so want want the surgery. And so that's that's driven a lot of change, really. Absolutely. I thought it was interesting reading the editorial is how some of that literature, and well, some of it is coming from the US and it's obviously there's a lot of baseball there and this has implications for that. I thought that was quite interesting. Is it, do you think that sort of skewed the view at all or, or not? I think it has. And, you know, when you've got lots of publications coming out about opinion without really hard evidence, then there's, you know, a, 
a bigger voice being heard in one corner than the other. And so we've got to step back sometimes and really appraise the evidence properly and, and think, well, why are we you know, doing this? And what are the real indications for surgery and, and, and going by that to start with? Absolutely. And that takes me very nice on to the next sort of point, which was what are the quoted indications for surgery? Because there are one or two sort of maybe absolute indications out there, aren't there? There are, yeah. So indications for surgery, first of all, if you have an open fracture, then that generally means that you do need to have some kind of surgery on that. Incarcerated fragments where if the, the fragment of bone off the medial epicondyle has gone inside the joint, then that forms another absolute indication to extract the fragment and get the joint reduced. And then sometimes a bit more of a, a relative indication is when you have failure of another kind of treatment. So a failure of non-operative treatments, then mm. you would consider operative treatment. Yeah, no, absolutely. But as you sort of point out with those in your editorial, that these are relatively rare, aren't they? They're not uh, the common occurrence with these injuries. Would that be fair? Correct. Yeah. So yeah. They're, they're, they're smaller. The, yeah. the indications of surgery, the absolute indications are rare, not the majority. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of just before I move on, in terms of you mentioned about the degree of displacement, is is there any good evidence relying on that? Or is that just like a lot of these things, a number's been picked out of the air here and there and people have gone with it? Yeah, well, the, the problem we have really is how do you assess the degree of displacement? And it's a, a problem that's not just related to medial epicondyle fractures. It's in other forms of fractures as well. The imaging modality that we use plain film x-rays can get um, a snapshot view. Two things about it. One is that you get parallax and you get mm. um, different shift in the position of the fragments depending on the view that you've taken. Uh, mm. But also it's sometimes it's a dynamic thing where yeah. this is a lump of bone that stays still. So good day it might be in one place, a bad day it might be another. Yeah. And, you know, we don't give CT scans because of the high risk of, you know, high dose of radiation to, to children. So, mm try and use low dose imaging radiation modalities as much as we can yeah absolutely that, that totally makes sense so if um we move on dan if i could maybe come to you just sort of talking about you know obviously we're going to talk about the trial but you know if you were putting forward the case for non-operative management based on the current evidence how would you sort of frame that well i think i think it's really easy actually because i think it's really difficult to try and justify doing surgery and based on the current evidence yeah um, and i i think that's the really hard thing and so so the, the way to put forward not doing an operation is that we've got no good evidence that doing surgery is better than not doing surgery. Mm. We know there's potential risks of doing surgery, so risk to the ulnar nerve, um, albeit very small, but there's nevertheless risks. And even some of the studies from the US show that people who have fixation have more long-term pain. Yeah. And probably because you end up with a screw and the screw can be irritable. And we know, you know, we know it's often not one operation. It's often two operations to take the screw out because it's, you know, there's not much there between the, the screw head and, and, and you know, the, the kind of the skin. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's loads of reasons, you know, if, unless you've got a really clear reason to fix it, then then I guess you should be asking, why would we fix it? Like, yeah. why would we just not treat it? Absolutely, Daniel. But So maybe if I counter that and maybe David give you the hard, harder question, which is, if you were going to put forward the case for operating on them, maybe maybe put aside those absolute indications. How would you how would you frame that yourself? Thanks, Andrew. I've been looking forward to this all day. <laughs> um, so I would say that you know there's there is evidence out there, but it's weak and it's countered by evidence for and against. So take for instance certain situations such as high performance athletes, say throwing athletes. Now we know that the ulnar collateral ligament is a structure 
under immense tension during some of these sporting activities. And if you have a fracture, and if it involves detensioning or displacing the ulnar collateral ligament, you get, instead of isometric points on the, the, the ligament, you, you get it uncoupled and it becomes slack in certain positions of throat. And that can lead to a bit of instability mm. in theory. And this is where expert opinion comes in and says, well, there might be situations here where we have a fracture that's a bit more of a soft tissue injury with the fracture than just a small uh, chunk of bone. And the the effect on the stability of the elbow in certain groups might be such that actually fixing it back can allow the musculature to offload some of the tension going through the ulnar collateral ligament, stop it getting stretched out, and lead to better performance and better function. And so there's certain centres in the world that have tried to prove this and they've tried to gather the evidence. They've they've had the right idea, but they've not really got the, the scientific studies right to, to convince the whole of the orthopaedic community on it. You know, and I'll give you an example of one paper by Cruz et al. from Philadelphia in 2016, and they put forward the argument about why some of these sporting injury athletes' elbows should be fixed. Now, the other things are that, you know, the ulnar collateral ligament shifting position, what what effect does that have in the long term? And if your medial epicondyle has, has come off and displaced it, is that going to be a problem? And so there might be certain indications, and hopefully we might find that with further evidence and further trial results, that there might be subpopulations that do benefit from fixation. At the moment, we haven't got the evidence to say absolutely categorically uh, which ones they are, but that's a kind of an expert opinion level of theory behind it. I think you did a brilliant job there. <laughs> that was excellent. Basically, you didn't convince me. I'm not so sure. I think you did a brilliant job because, oh, like you say, it's it's a lot more difficult to justify that, isn't it? But I think it's good to have that balance and see where people are coming from. And like you say, there will be people who who will be out there who will come from that side very much so, like you say, and that's why there's literature out there like that. So I suppose in light of all that, that takes us very nicely, Dan, to your study, science. So why don't we just, I know most listeners will probably know about it, but can you just tell us a little bit about it and, and how's it, how, it, how it's going? Sure. So science is, well, it's got the best acronym firstly. So science is surgery or casts for injuries of the epicondyle in children's elbows. So science is a, a big international randomized control trial, which is a superiority trial. So we're asking the question, is surgery better than no surgery um, for displaced medial epicondyle fractures? It's run in the UK, in Australia and New Zealand. So it's it really is truly international. And we've actually finished recruitment. So we've recruited 334 patients between the two interventions. So they're, they're all randomized. It's all going beautifully. Our follow-up rate at the moment is fantastic. It's about 86%. I know nothing more than the result of, of the results other than the follow-up rate. And we should get the result sort of September for reporting later on in the year. Brilliant. And just what's the primary outcome, sorry, for, for science? Sure. So the primary outcome is the promised upper extremity. So that's so, so promised tools are the, 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 the tools which came from the US, which validated the upper extremity. It's a, a computer adaptive test, which is really cool because mm-hmm. instead of asking a whole question bank of 30 questions, if you say lift a, lift a cup up or something, because it, it's kind of clever and it knows, it knows the responses based on the previous response. Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. And just one last thing in terms of I was reading in the editorial, 
your outcomes will be collected at regular intervals in the first year, then annually until the patients are 16. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And then even after that, we've got consent for consent for longer term follow-up after that as well. So we're going to keep their NHS number beyond that. So to be able to look in as data and stuff in the future to see whether they have any elbow surgery or anything else in the future. And that's great, but, isn't um, it? Good because that's one of the things that people will be worrying about. Well, that's one of the potentials that they worry about is is there only longer term effects? But it, it, it's going to find that it can look at that as well, isn't it? No, it's something we're really trying to do in all the kids' trials, actually. Yeah. Um, whether it's elbows or you know whatever it is, we're trying to do it. It's it's quite actually quite difficult, and it's quite difficult because kids turn into adults, and therefore yeah. you have to reconstruct them as an adult, and it causes an awful pickle. But <laughs> but I think it's really important that we try and do it. No, absolutely, and I sort of suppose finally, down just before before we finish, you know. I, I, I think it's probably important to highlight as well, you know, this this editorial that you know, David has done, which is great, and I encourage all our listeners to to go and read it. It's you know, it's I think it's really highlighting the awesome research in pediatric orthopedics that's going on in the UK. You know, we've you've got trials and ankle fractures, wrist fractures, Sufi, to name just a few, and it really is a great time and, and a real testament to the, the subspecialty of how well it's going and, and people like yourself. Yeah, th- thanks. I mean, the, the whole the whole children's orthopedic community have really embraced research over the last sort of ten years. No, not even that five years or so. We really kind of bored, and it's grown. You know, it's really grown exponentially. There's you know more and more chief investigators coming on board. And I think there's about seven or eight trials which are running at the moment, as you say, kind of Perthase disease, the trauma, like pretty much everything, which is it's really cool. Yeah. Um, and we're always trying to do an editorial to spread the good news in the BJJ. So, Absolutely. Uh, so, so yeah, we'll hear more about them. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a, a good point where we can we can wrap up, guys. So, you know, thank you so much to you both for taking the time to to join me and, and congratulations on a really interesting editorial. And it goes a really good clear over, I think, in the balance that's required there, why we really need, need robust data. And obviously, congrats to you both on on the on all the hard work in the community that are producing these great trials. It was great to have, have you both with us. And to our listeners, we do hope you've enjoyed joining us and we do encourage you all to share your thoughts and comments on the various platforms. Feel free to post about anything we've discussed here today and thanks again for joining us take care everyone